You're listening to Rosie Cole's Vaudeville Broadcast. This program may contain adult content, so if you're under 18, please either get permission or switch it off. recording and streaming the podcast so you can listen to it. I'm not sure maybe technical difficulties mean that you won't be able to listen to it live right now in the room. But um, you can also download it later. Um, I'll be passing out links. Um, so today's discussion is all about bodies. So we've all got one, hopefully. Um, different ways we respond to bodies uh, in performance. So the title of this discussion is Cabaret, the Physical Act. And I have some amazing guests with me today, fantastic panellists. If you would like to introduce yourself, say a little bit about who you are, what you're doing, where you come from. Morning. Um, so my name's Lady Maiden Mirage. I'm a performer based in London. Uh, I've been in the scene for a few years. And as well as this, I'm also a teacher and head girl at Cheekovit Burlesque and Cabaret School. Uh, hello, my name's Lolo Brow. I am a neo burlesque artist, freak show artist, and drag artist working in London. Hello. Hello, I'm John Cotton, and this is the first time I've ever spoken to a microphone. <laughs> um, I'm the clown, the silent one, and I've been working as a full time clown for about four years, but a uh, clown for about seven years. Hello, I'm Miss Cairo. Um, I'm a drag burlesque and cabaret performer. Um, I am London based and have been on the scene for about three years now. Um, yes, that's me. <laughs> yes, all, every single one of them incredibly deserving of applause. They're all fantastic. So, the first question I'm going to pose to this panel, which feels very formal because normally I have quite a Casual discussion with people. Okay. Line. I know, it feels very schooly, doesn't it? I'm just in a line. Um, first question, really, is um, there was a quote uh, floated a while ago that burlesque and drag were um, a grotesque representation of what uh, femininity is like in performance through the male gaze. Which sounds quite negative, so I was wondering if there are actually, do you think there are any types of performance? cabaret performance that um, present negative gender stereotypes and encourage that. Ooh. Who wants to go first? Quiet. Who's, who's got a strong opinion? <laughs> I do, but the words aren't coming in. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't think that any representations of any kind of gender, if you put it on a stage, can be a negative representation, because it's something that's about how you're expressing yourself. So. If you choose to express yourself in a very sort of male-centric gaze or something that would be considered like traditional sort of male gaze, um, then that is you representing how you are as a performer. If you decide to go the other way, then that isn't making that any less negative. It's just something of a large variety of what we have on offer in the cabaret sort of scene. You wouldn't want to go and see just um, traditional male gaze but you wouldn't also want to go and see a show that's completely 
um, the other way, something very activist or um, sort of politically sort of burlesque. It's nice to have a variety. So you can't, I don't really think that any representation of gender, however it's done, is negative, personally. Um, and even if it, like you said, is done in a particularly male gaze way, within cabaret audiences and people who work within cabaret, it actually works in a fabulous favour as it brings to light a point that people need to discuss and talk about. Um, it's the word grotesque that is something to be focused on and that's the um, thing is that the fact is it's a lot of cabaret is naturally Brechtian and naturally grotesque. It's taken to the point of extreme, which makes it so damn fabulous. And apparently audiences will only listen if you're funny or naked. So that's always good. Um, but I, I think also um, the only... Oh, actually, I'm going to stop there because my brain's stopped functioning. <laughs> I think the word grotesque as well... Um, um, I'm sure about me because I do very well at that. Um, within my work, I battle with gender um, and I portray sort of the gender that I want to kind of portray. Um, but I subvert that by being extremely grotesque, so being like really in touch with my body and being happy to expose everything and really make people feel uncomfortable with it. Um, so I feel I like. For me, it doesn't become about. Yeah, grotesque isn't negative, and it doesn't become about gender for me. It's about being comfortable with exposing my body and, and kind of getting people to understand and open up to their own bodies. Um, because I'm in drag, I'm kind of what people consider as um, you know, kind of what you see in magazines and sort of like this slender, dark-skinned, uh, uh, mixed race, blah 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 blah. Um, and I like fucking with that a bit because it's a bit, you know, we see that everywhere and we don't see that sort of thing doing like lip syncing with their arsehole and things like that. Like, oh, I'm really eloquent. Yeah. I'm clearly very eloquent on a Saturday morning. I'm to more twice. <laughs> For me as well, I think I trying to teach our students, a vast majority of the audiences are often women. So they're often coming to those shows to actually watch other women perform. And it's not because they're a particular look or a stereotype or a particular classic nature. Or It is, for, like Dot said, it's the variety that's in cabaret, especially in London right now, it's really thriving. And I think as consumers, we're really lucky at the amount of variety that's available to us. And one thing we try and teach is at our school is, is inspiration, empowerment and fun and that uh, having all three of those things within your performance so that you as a performer take that off stage so the audience watching you. And that's regardless of gender, that's regardless of, of stereotype of shape, that's regardless of what you're doing. I like to play with, I sadly can't make my arsehole lip sync, but I do like to play with fire so I look, like to look very classic and then all of a sudden I'll start burning myself because that's something someone's not expecting. But I feel fabulous doing that and I feel empowered doing that. And that's what gets the audience from the reactions as well. And I think we are really lucky that there is such a variety, but equally it's not that it's one classic thing or it's one that's something a bit more out there. We really, really, it's such a pleasure to go and watch shows at the moment. But what we do try and say to our students is that they're empowered by doing that. And I think the audience take away from that sense of pride that they've seen someone who feels proud enough to do that on stage and, and own their own, their own space and their own body. So... Sorry, the microphone's trying to talk about it. Microphone, So, what I'm getting a sense of from everyone, basically, is that when you present a particular stereotype, particularly in cabaret, it seems to be that 
by making it grotesque, by making it extreme, it's almost either holding it up for, I'd say, critical appreciation for people to decide whether they want to buy into a certain view or whether they actually, it, it makes them think about it differently, it would seem. Because the idea, like you said about burlesque, you know, even if you come up in like a very classic of what we would feel as sort of classically, stereotypically beautiful within that kind of patriarchal ideal of what female beauty should be, but the idea that it is owned by the performer rather than by the male. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It's almost. I used to think about it differently, maybe. Is that basically. No, you're trying to get to. Yeah, I think when you put some, whenever you put something on stage, someone's always going to have an opinion on it, and it might always be completely different to what you're putting on there. And even if you're, um, you're judgmental and kind of how you're actually putting it out there, is executed extremely well, therefore someone will resonate in a completely different way. Um, so when you're talking possibly about gender, someone might come up and say something that they triggered with them with race. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, it becomes subversive and it becomes about what the audience thinks from it instead. Mm. I was actually talking about you last night. Why you crept into my brain? Um, but I was talking to someone about how um, they felt that drag was um, uh, betraying uh, feminism because it was producing such a hyper, hyper ridiculous ideal woman, um, and it was almost destroying elements of feminism. This was a very, very wonderful heated debate. Thank God it was hot. And um, then we started. Then we started talking about different drag queens, and he started talking about you and how you are hypersexualized on stage. You are a fabulous, wonderful sexual creature of absolute gorgeous erotic energy. And it's wonderful to watch, it's wonderful thing. And he was like, that is what's the problem because that's what the male gaze is. It's this, uh, this sexual woman in front of me, this like, object, so to speak. And the argument that I had was it's, you're completely in control. And that's what differs between seeing a woman sexualized in the media and seeing a man or woman or drag queen sexualized on stage is because they're in control and they can see the audience and you are held responsible for your own views. And they can see you and you can come out to the audience and put your balls in their face. <laughs> um, so I think it's real, I think it's interesting. And I think as well it's important that I, when I do things like, things like that, it's not about just portraying the idol femininity it's also questioning people's sexuality as well, which I find incredibly important because I have a lot of men who fancy me and a lot of women who fancy me as well, and they kind of don't know how to react to that. Um, and it's kind of the way I overcome that is kind of just saying, like, it's okay. And I feel that that kind of, like, comes into a lot of the work is being like, it's okay with what you're seeing. It's okay to feel this. It's okay to feel uncomfortable. Um, it's okay to feel aroused. Um, so kind of when it's like a high, um, uh, when people say it's an, it, I can't speak this morning. Um, when people say it's like an exaggeration of a woman, we kind of wear so many masks anyway, like what is a woman and what is an exaggeration? Because for me as well, woman isn't necessarily what you've got down there. Um, and w women and femininity, it's, it's, a, it's a concept, it's something that we, have bought into and it's about playing with that and, and enjoying that and kind of sometimes allowing hyper masculine cisgendered males to also embrace and enjoy their femininity because there's many men out there who always would like to wear a pair of heels when they do they feel fabulous. 
I'm going to sort of speak from my perspective. Um, I occupy a really small niche in a very, very male-dominated market. Um, historically, over the last 200 years, the only sort of household name clowns have been men. All the famous clowns that you speak about or know about or in like your cultural history are all men. Um, I am, and there are women clowns, and through the history there have been women clowns that have been very important. Um, however, there's been a very particular unsexualized construct of a clown. It's almost this sort of a neutered being. Uh, when I started clowning, I started dressing as a man. Um, I was very, very sort of um, unsexualized in anything that I did, and I worked on the street in front of kids and things like that. When I moved into cabaret, I was suddenly faced with this opportunity to bring on much more sort of um, a feminine clown to what I do. I don't strip, but I do wear, um, I don't take my clothes off, I don't have like nickel pasties or anything, but I do mess about with the constructs of what it means to be a female clown. I faced like two types of feedback in this situation. The first being from a lot of male clowns that sort of are a little bit hostile towards what I'm doing because I'm working in the adult industry and there aren't many adult clowns like that are specifically working within burlesque or um, fetish or anything like that. And it wasn't a hostility in terms of they didn't like me, it was just that they felt like I might possibly be undermining the history of clowning. And then the other aspect that I've had is a lot of women have come to me and said, we've never seen a female clown working in this sort of a generation. It's very interesting that you chose a character that's quite um, neutered and it makes us um, a lot more interested in sort of what it means to be a clown and what it means to um, take away gender from a performance. And I stripped it back when I first started and more or less had nothing to do with any kind of being a woman and I've gradually brought that in through cabaret. And it can be considered grotesque in some circles of clowning. But um, my audiences don't find it grotesque. My audiences have been very responsive to it and I hope to be able to carry on playing with the gender and having this clown that's sometimes male and sometimes female is the same entity. It's very important. And there's only one place I can do that and that is in the cabaret sort of circuit really. That's mm. um it's really interesting you say that, that you you said people don't find it grotesque because traditionally the idea of clown is grotesque kind of like a caricature in a way. Um, the idea of clown has been sort of you know, very much tainted in the 70s when we started having these grotesque sort of um, male clowns, mass murderers, things like this. Um, it's really been taken back recently and um, kind of I found that I just had to do like very slightly naughty things and suddenly it's outrageous because I'm a clown and it's associated with a certain type of image or a construct or a body on stage. So. Wow. Getting, getting into some really interesting discussions here. Um, so kind of segueing from that, because we started to talk about the way people respond to gender in performance, I'd really like to um, ask you more questions about drag, actually, and about um, the sort of, the way we use drag, particularly on the cabaret sector, I see a lot of interesting things happening, both, um, so, obviously, who's seen a drag queen perform? Pretty much, most most people. Um, I think my, my first question is: Can can a drag queen also be 
biologically female? I know that sounds like a really What's weird question. <laughs> <laughs> no, go for it, go for it. Uh, no, I, I know you go first, and I'm going to make my brain like go good, good, good. Okay. Um, drag isn't necessarily a man dressing as a woman. Um, for me, drag is like another layer of, of, of something. Um, anyone could be a drag queen. Um, uh, I was actually having this discussion with someone the other day, like about um, you know how do you start calling someone a drag queen, um, and where is the lexicon that comes in in that? And I was saying, well, it's a personal thing. So I was saying that if someone wears a pair of heels and they're doing a very hyper-sexualized feminine routine, for me, that's uh, uh, that's drag. And there's so many terms of it within drag now, and so many different classes of it that it's so wide and, and vast and, you know I really feel that anyone can be drag. To be a drag queen though I feel that there must be some level of professionalism, like there must be some level of payment. I feel that, that there needs to be some sort of exchange in some capacity financially or like, on, on a promotional scale I feel that it's that's when it becomes a profession. Um, I think drag is um, essentially, um, and what some people do have a problem with, but it isn't necessarily actually an issue, is that drag is the sort of satirisation on a hyper-real level of the femininity. So whether that's a man putting on clothes to represent this, or whether that is a woman going that next level, for instance, there's some really, um, really famous, really sort of well-known um, girls that would consider themselves as drag queens, um, Ruby Jones, Lola Brow, uh, Lily Snatch Dragon, all exist on this sort of hyper-real satire of femininity, but in a very engaged way. And I think that's important whether you are a man or you are a woman performing um, drag. Um, well, because uh, also to, to me, a drag is also elements of culture and um, community and stuff like that. It was Alaska Thunderfuck who was on stage yesterday and she said, if you, if you say you're doing drag, then you're doing drag. Um, no one to say that nails, contour and heels make the difference between a drag queen and a man dressed as a woman, or a woman dresses a man dressed as a woman. Um, so, it's as yeah, simple as, and I think, I think now, because drag has like integrated itself into so many different things, I don't feel like I see a performer that doesn't have elements of drag, even if it's just fierce, which is an overused word these days, which is still fabulous. Um, but yeah, and um, cabaret performers are all night owls because they stay up yeah. late. So this is very, very early. Gonna have a bloody Mary. Um, um, but yeah, so I, de I definitely think a, a drag is if you say you're doing drag. If you feel that your if your persona is delving into an external gender that you feel at that time, then that's Jed. That's drag. Wow. Um, it's just, it's um, well, I got told recently that I'm I'm not allowed to be a drag king, which was a big kind of punch to the face. Um, uh, uh, Fellow performer told me that I was not allowed to be a drag, a drag king because I don't bind my breasts, <laughs> um, which is to me ridiculous because all the other elements that I do completely um, 
speak in another gender. I have a strong belief that like drag kinging, in, in drag kinging, it's a, a lot of elements that women dull themselves down to become men. We make wear darker colours, we contour our face to make it darker, and um, we kind of hunch ourselves over more clothes. Where drag queens wear less and more makeup, and they become taller and more flamboyant. So I decided to start doing drag kings in massive platforms and massive sparkly dildos and things like that, and going hyper masculine. So I think it goes all over the place. It's all fun. <laughs> now, I've been for since I've been doing it. I've been told by people what I should and shouldn't do in drag and da 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 da. You've got to shave your legs, Miss Carter. Oh my god, all the time. Like I have hairy armpits. I have hairy legs. I I will only shave them if I'm getting paid an extreme amount of money and if artistically it, I did the film where right I was playing. Swing. Yeah, like I was playing a, a, a I was in a film playing a transgender sex worker, and we had this, this discussion. And he was like, "I love your forward thinking. I would love to do it, but I don't think the world is ready for that." And I was like, "Because I was also agreeing with him, but I was saying like, if I was a trans sex worker, I would be shaving my legs to be hyper feminine. So that's why I was like, "All right, I'm going to shave that. That's fine." Um, but you know, I did a, a drag competition, and they they slated me and told me that I should shave my armpits. And I took the mic and said, "Well, well no, like, what, why do women have to?" And I got slated for like speaking up about it. I don't shave my armpits. But it's like, that's getting paid <laughs> but it's like, um, you know, even makeup techniques. People tell me like, what I should and shouldn't do, and I'm like, well, I don't really give a fuck. Unless you're telling me like technical elements which you can see where I'm trying to go with things and trying to advance that, great. But, but another problem that I've got in drag as well is the, you know, the amount of misogyny and discrimination we have within our own com community. Um, but misogyny doesn't come from the fact that you're dressing as a woman. It's a lot of it is kind of I, I get really pissed off with um, drag queens making lesbian jokes. I find it really banal, and people have been doing it for so long now. When we're in the twenty first century, and you know, two women having sex isn't funny. Like, like I don't get where that joke comes in anymore. Um, and it's difficult because I consider myself as a, as a feminist and a strong feminist at that. I always get told that I'm not allowed to be, and there's some things that I do that people say, well, that's not you being a feminist. And it's like, it, I get so frustrated when people tell me what I am and what I'm not. And I'm like, I can say what, what I want to be. Because like, I don't take the piss. I, it, it's difficult as well, being a, consider yourself as a feminist and being a male. Um, because I get a, I, I get a lot of opportunities and I'm very lucky because I have a niche and I think sometimes as well because I'm a man and it's really hard to take that on board because I feel <laughs> so bad having that kind of privilege and seeing other people really be affected by it. Sometimes I do very similar things to other people and I don't, I really don't feel it's unfair. So I try and use my work and who I am as a platform to kind of make people realise that that's where they're kind of going wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's things like language as well, I'm really quite precise as well. <laughs> Clearly not on a Saturday morning, <laughs> but like I, I do a lot of writing but not published, but I 
but sort of on my social media, I always get people yeah. messaging me with really wonderful comp compliments and comments because I really consider what I say all the time through through writing and on stage. I mean, I did something for um, a um, African charity, an African LGBT charity. I'm mixed race, and I said at the beginning that I get pissed off that I'm not considered black enough or not considered white enough, and I face my own kind of um, racism within my own cultures. Um, and I, you know, I also said that I'm colourblind because I don't, I don't see colour because it's not a problem for me. And I got told, I got like, labelled a racist and all of this shit. And someone said to me, like, you know, you can't really say colourblind because you're ignoring the kind of history that people have got. It's like. Well, that was kind of taken out of context because, yeah, I, I understand people's struggles and I, and everyone has struggles in their own degree, but I, I wasn't disregarding that. Um, in fact, I just did this charity gig for you for next to nothing and, um, you know, I'm getting criticism where criticism wasn't needed. Um, so there is so much criticism within drag itself and kind of the, the camera which you know I'm learning to just take the pictures out and take on board the things that are important. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's so within cabaret it seems like a lot of people respond to gender and the way we look at our, our bodies as gendered as performance. It is you know and out taking it out into the world. I would I would imagine that's kind of one of the reasons that cabaret is so fascinating and so liberating is that you can take elements of gender and it becomes a critique or, or a, a grotesque or something as performance. It, 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 you, can, you can push it, I think, and really confront people with it in a way that other forms of media can't. Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to move on to another topic because we've got sadly limited time because I reckon we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours and all the intricacies of gender and, and race and all the kind of intersectionality of that which is such a massive topic that kind of threw you a huge one to start. Um, <coughs> moving a little bit sideways or side show, um, there seems to be recently, I don't know if this this is my perception, but it seems to me to be recently there's been a, a resurgence in the interest of things like sideshow and circus where people use their bodies in a way that seems almost inhuman and do things that you don't think could be physically capable. Um, I'm just wondering, like, why do you all think that is? As, as fire, freak show, performance? Um, I, as a, I, I'm a freak show performer as well and um, we, there has been more of an influx of um, people desiring it for clubs, walkabouts, stage shows, things like that. And I think it's simply because um, it's like with film, it's like with theatre, um, the audience always want more. They always want to see the next um, biggest thing. So someone puts a sword down their throat, next person's going to put two down their throat. Um, so it's just, and it's that onwards thing. Also, I think, I, I have a theory that with the quite like um, detached society that we live in now, which is a questionable thing in terms of social network and being presented constantly with uh, media and um, using Facebook rather than phones and things like that. And yes, I'm a big hippie. Um, but uh, to see something, they want to see something quite extreme. And maybe it's that complete real and complete pain thing that's quite um, 
burning myself or I'm going to eat this massive fire wand. I think you're allowing them to see something that you're you know, enabling your body to do, and that's fascinating. And I think during times of kind of recession, you think kind of back to like the 1920s when people had prohibition and they were going underground to look at shows. There were people who were training pigeons to fly off themselves. There was always someone trying to take it to the next step to give an audience something more. And I think you know, during times of recession, we spend our money wisely and we want to see so much more. I think it's, it's, it's almost like it's a fault of the cabaret audience, but it's amazing that cabaret audience are driving it in that way, they react in that way to people who are bringing more to their performance. I've seen people staple stakes to their backsides, and then I've seen people, like Molly Scarlett putting amazing fire sticks through her arms, and I'm exactly the same, I want to run out and puke as well, but it's something kind of a bit car crash that you're just drawn to it and you want to look, because what an amazing thing that they've taught themselves to do and are sharing with us, and I think it's that sharing with the audience and feeling amazing doing it that you, you react with. I think it's really, it's, it's quite a difficult area of sideshow performing, because there is in terms of body image and body construct and things like this, you're always dealing with something that might be self-harm. It's not self-harm, and that can that's a distinction that's often confused with it. Just because somebody um, feels like they can do it on stage doesn't mean that it's necessarily a sort of anything that you, you don't like yourself or something like that. And like self-harm has its own issues and there aren't, you know, a lot of the performers that you meet that do sideshow, they're not this is like a controlled environment and it's 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 important that it is as well. I think going back to the like, car crash thing, the reason why I can't watch sideshow is because <laughs> I don't want to bear witness to something going wrong. Like I would feel guilty, I would feel that I would be con contributing to that person's demise, impossible death. Like the fact that I was goading that and wanting that to happen, I, I kind of—that's the thing that I don't get. I don't get why people want to see someone potentially kill themselves with some of the stuff that they do. I have a little question. Leading. Oh my god, that was amazing. That was a synchronized. <laughs> um, I have a little question leading on from that. Which yes. So, what is it? that makes people want to see something that is so genuinely very real and very dangerous, but also, on the flip side of that, what makes you want to do it? What, 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 what kind of person likes to staple things <laughs> to themselves? What's, what's the motivation there? I'm just curious. Say uh, Um No, uh, well, uh, well, there's a thrill of seeing something that could go horribly wrong, and uh, I also will be willing to admit that I enjoy watching Sideshow and not there's not hope that it'll go wrong, but there's intrigue because we haven't seen... Are you alright, darling? No, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I just can't fathom, like... Look at the scabs! Well, like, I've... Brown was the only Sideshow... And this is no disrespect to any other Sideshow performer. I really trust Lolo, and it's because I know her quite well. And, like... I, we've, we've discussed like me stapling her, and I've attempted to staple myself. We didn't know. Didn't tell you that. Um, I didn't actually do it. But kind of watching Lolo has made me warm to the idea of it. But it's like it's just is it nasal flossing and blockhead? And um, she told me how she did blockhead the other day, and then it made more sense to me, and it wasn't as freaky. I thought it was going. I was thinking that it was about. Um, it's still going into my stuff. Well, I thought it was like to, when in Tutankhamun, and when they were like 
taking out their brains for the night. So I thought it was like that. Apparently, it's going back that way, and that wasn't so bad. But I think, like, Give me all the trades. Yeah. That's not a secret, it goes into the back of my face. But I think a lot of it sometimes comes down to like education of like. Because she's also, Lola's also really good for like someone fainted at a show a couple of weeks ago. Someone fainted during my show! I was so honest! <laughs> it, was like, it was like a standing ovation, I was so proud. Um, but like, going back to what sort of people do sideshow, um, freak shows specifically, especially like referring to pain stuff. And I say that I do enjoy pain, which is just true. I'll always be open about that and in terms of my uh, sex life as well. But um, I actually went into sideshow because I grew up in a medical family and I am very aware of the human anatomy. I am very aware of how it functions and how the body functions and also very aware of the limitations of the body. And I've watched my dad do many surgeries and slice people open and of course they're up walking two weeks later, it's fine. Um, so I, was, I felt that I was willing to take that step also, um, I was interested in pushing myself to that awareness of um, um, sensation in my body. I've been performing for quite a while now and I, I don't necessarily get the adrenaline kick I do on stage anymore. And um, when, I started getting, when I started getting into a freak show, I really brought it back because it was a really honed in skill. I trained really hard and I worked really hard and I'm still working hard and pushing myself, pushing myself. Like I'm trying to do chain swallowing at the moment, which is horrible. Um, and, um, and ladder walking, uh, sword ladder walking. And um, so it's, and it's the, people sort of, uh, pe the sort of people who want to do it are people who want to continually push their bodies to the limit. Ta-da! Yeah, and so, what about, well, start you training a lot flexibility, which I guess is, is kind of a similar desire, perhaps? Um, for me, um, as a clown, like my, my sort of basic thing is that I'm a mirror for an audience. And you can go out on stage and you can see all the eyes dead. And they will, you know, like I do like warm up for casino and things like that. So this is kind of eating their dinner and just ignoring me. And I do the same to them. And I feel like I'm able to draw them in. And it's that point when you give them something that they're not expecting and they feel that. Like, so you see me suddenly drop into the floor in the splits and look like I've ruptured myself. And they, they also paint their dinner. And as a performer, you're looking for that moment when you get that adrenaline surge from your audience. So if I suddenly see eyes widen in an audience, I feel it in myself. And that's the reason that pushes me to keep um, trying out different things with flexibility and, and making and communicating to an audience that something might be going wrong, something isn't. Well, the reason we go to see live performance is the chance, the chance that the ballet dancer could touch you or the chance that somebody doing blockhead accidentally you know, goes wrong. You don't want it to, but that is a really exhilarating feeling and it's connected to like human um, need to actually go and see performance. Like, that's probably why I do it. So I've just been informed by the lovely Paul L. Martin, who's organising the day, that we've only got a few minutes left, and I did want to open it up to the floor if that's okay with you guys and, and have a few questions thrown at us. So if anybody's got any questions, stick your hand up and um, well, you can come up to the mic after I'm pointing you. Um, so yeah, anyone, anyone got anything they'd like to ask our performers? Otherwise, I'll throw some more questions out with them. Shy, shy audience. No? Oh, what is blockheading? Okay, what's 
the question, what is blockhead? I was like, I can show you if you want, <laughs> but I never got my gear with me. Uh, blockhead is when I hammer a nail into my nose. Ooh. <laughs> 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 it's a reaction. Oh,
But, you know, because a lot of it's from gay males who, who are scared of it. Um, as much as straight men have their fucking bullshit about being, um, you know, closeted homosexuals, I think there's a lot of gay men out there who um, aren't really in touch with the fact that some of them may want to have sex with a woman. Like, or at least have a look at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of works both ways. It's very intricate. <laughs> we can label it and everything. Labia. Majora, menorah. Ooh. As much as I'd love this to turn into an anatomy lesson, we might want to. Uh, <laughs> uh, else like I'm just going to say no. It's good that you're. Um, it's it's good that you're pissed off, and you're perfect. We're pissed off as well. And there's been a surge at the moment of noticing a lot of drag queens that are not getting hired now because of it, which is good. So it's in the right good direction, but just keep heckling them back, darling. Yeah. Lady May, I just want to say, one of the projects we work with really closely at Tikkunet is um, the Orchid Project, which is a, pro a project which is against genital cutting um, in women across the world. And um, our founder, Lady Cheek, has actually been one of the founding members of World Femininity Day. And what she has found is that since 2012, so that was set up, We've done really amazing things, like we kind of stood in a window in paper dress vintage with really beautiful, bejazzled, fake merkins just showing our clitorati to the world of East London. And what's been fantastic about the cabaret community actually has been the support around that World Women's Day of the Day and supporting projects like the Orchid, the Orchid Project and taking back the work <laughs> to actually be a thing of positivity and to promotion and to promote um, cabaret community helping women or any gender around the world and I think the support we've got from the cabaret community has been amazing and to hear that there are actually people who aren't now employed because they're making crass jokes like that rather than channeling the directors in the right place is, is really, really heartening for us to hear. Yeah, awesome. So things are changing. I think we had a question. It's not, it's not a question, I just wanted to say from our original discussion about gender, I think we're probably quite a sophisticated audience regarding gender, yeah. but most audiences are not. Most workplaces, for example, and I think what's brilliant about cabaret artists who do that is that they play with it and they let other people see that it can be played with. Yeah. And that the, the men can be quite feminine. Yeah. Or, or that women, quite, women can be quite aggressive with it or whatever. Yeah. I think it's the fact that they play with it, they show the audience, and the audience gets to see something which they don't normally see in the majority of their life. Because most the artistic experience is meant to be a learning process, isn't it? And if we can put something on stage, all right, this is a very sort of you know informed audience, but sometimes they're really not, like you said. And if we can even just spark something in their head that makes them think a little bit differently or question something, even if it's like, actually, I found this Cairo so attractive and I never imagined that I possibly would. What does that say about me, or what does that say about her skill? That's kind of why we're doing this, I think. I think as well, like we are the cabaret performers are the break between. The normal world and this ideal world sometimes. Um, I think what I love about the cabaret community is that there are shit producers out there, there are misogynistic producers out there, there are people who are not doing things right and what I love seeing is the cabaret community like standing together and reshaping it and telling these people like what they want and people listening and that's what you know this is an informed audience, but I think cabaret performers as well are. But like, I don't want to sound like elitism, elitist, yeah. but like, I do feel that we are people. So a lot of us are people who are like bullied. Like we're kind of, I feel like, without being this cliche, 
sometimes a bit of an outcast of, yeah. for things like failed musical theatre performers and you know we come to cabaret because for me, the, the reason that I actually went into cabaret was I was making, when I finished university, I was making quite a lot of experimental theatre. And my dad came to see something and he said, all your audiences are academics and your work doesn't speak to everybody, it just speaks to that particular audience. And I went away travelling and I came back and I wanted to find an audience that was as close to and, and meet between that and that's what cabaret audiences are for me. You can often come into a room with a lot of people that have literally stumbled in from a pub and their view is whatever their view is and then you have people that come along specifically to see it because they know what we're doing. It's really important to me that I get both of those audiences. I don't want to be just performing to academics or critics or people that are informed. I want everybody because everybody deserves to have this learning process and become, you know, sort of um, slightly more informed, if anything, through entertainment. I think it's important that it is. Yeah, it's fun. Learning is fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a couple, are there another couple of questions? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I just want you you talk about um, the cabaret family a lot and the community in the room today, and if there is anything that you guys in the next few months, years, whatever, we'd like to see more from a producing, promoting, booking point of view. Is there anything that those people can do to make the things you're talking about easier or progress them faster? You know, the things you said that you wanted to see, what what are they? So, um, what's, yeah. I so the question is, what, what do we want to see? I think it's about the better. producers and promoters making kind of informed decisions and listening to I mean, it's such a hard one because there's so many things. It's experiences different. They different. There's so many different types of nights that you work at as a cabaret artist. So you could be entertaining a pub full of people. You could be entertaining a casino, a theatre audience, or podium dancing in a club. And every single producer has their own agenda, usually based on money, on what they're wanting out of their show. So as cabaret performers, we essentially, I would like to see the actual performance put first before the money. Um, that's something that, as a business, is not actually hypothetically going to work. <laughs> I can still want it done. <laughs> um, better attitudes from some producers um, regarding this wonderful topic, pay. Um, producers will heckle me down and try and get me to dance on stage for £30. That barely covers the cost that, that these shoes are. It, um, everything you see before you is time. Everything you see before you is hours of rhinestoning the fuckers. <laughs> and it's the wigs, the, the makeup, the, it's the travel, everything. But they try and they feel it's in their right to push you down and down and down and get you for the cheapest they possibly is. You're buying a product at the end of the day. You don't go into your supermarket and go, oh, this is a nice orange but I'll only give you 10p for it. Um, so yeah, I, I would like more respect from certain producers within the community. And um, yeah. I think there's going to be a discussion later today about pay and about cabaret unions and money and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the start Yeah, so can we do one more question yeah. and then we'll wrap up? Awesome. One more question from the audience? Anyone who's got any burning, or not even burning, just mm -hmm. not fizzling? <laughs> no, tingle? The tingle there? No? I, I could just go back to that one. Yeah, sure. Um, it's good if producers as well 
reset their performers and kind of know what they're getting and really the producers shouldn't be, shouldn't be scared to ask questions um, and also kind of like respect the performers decisions um, like I do a Jessica Rabbit act and I've been asked numerous times to kind of like do long sets with it and it's, I'm very specific with that act um, it's something that I'm hoping to advance in the future but like I was very adamant and it was I don't like being told that what I'm doing I'm wrong or that I think sometimes as well, I know Miss Kyra definitely faces this. I mean, like I said earlier on, that I don't strip. The amount of pressure on me to strip when I first started in this community was a lot. And it went to the fact that nowhere would book me because I didn't do burlesque. And now the tables have turned a little bit and people do want variety a bit more than burlesque. But I know that Miss Kyra is often under a lot of pressure on this as she works to be over sexual or take more clothes off. And, do things that she might not be comfortable with because she's already sort of opened the doors with what she is comfortable with, which is quite, you know, quite a lot. Um, I think in terms of producers, and again, this is something that we can't really govern, so to speak, um, there needs to be sort of a level of respect in terms of if you ask a performer to do something and they say no, then you leave it. You don't keep pushing or suggesting or bribing with money. If they've already said no, then you have to take that as a no, really. So actually, that would be quite interesting, maybe, maybe what, what have you found in terms of burlesque and pressure? I mean, has there been pressure on you or...? Um, luckily not. And I think one thing I would definitely see is more professionalism. And I think, like Lois said, we spend hours making our hair, makeup, making our own costumes, sourcing our music to then maybe getting changed and with the barrels out the back at some kind of venue. Like, it's, it, it ain't glamour backstage. But I think there does need to be more of an appreciation of the hours and the time and the effort that goes into what people produce and what people are happy to put out there. Um, I think, thankfully, you know, I'm a burlesque performer. I, I'm happy stripping, I'm happy doing fire. I would like more menus to take fire and to take more chances, but obviously there's this legislation thing. Then you have the issue of pasties or not pasties, and <laughs> nudity and which venues will push you to do that or not do that in the case. And I, I don't have a classic figure, I don't have a, a classic bump and grind figure, I don't have a classic svelte pretty little petite figure. So yes, people do want to maybe push me to go to Merkins or those kind of things. And I, you know, that power is mine. I'll show what I'm happy to show and hopefully what the audience enjoys. Um, but I think for me, what I'd like to see out there is more variety and more, um, be, I actually quite want to see your sword ladders. That sounds amazing. But people taking more chances and putting more things out there because I want to see it. And hopefully you're going to do it for us. Uh, now? Yes, sure. <laughs> um, I, I was just dying to say something because you know, and it's like in your brain, and I'm, I'm trying to write things down. Um, uh, actually, because you're talking about feeling pressure to um, go down to American pasties, I actually feel pressure to put on pasties. I prefer not wearing pasties. I'm a, I prefer to be bare breasted and I prefer to be completely fully nude. Um, because I don't think my body's a violation of anything. I don't think my body is a problem. I don't think my body, I don't. Free the nipple. Um, I don't think I should be ashamed of my nipples in any way. And oh, pasties are beautiful. I think they're a wonderful accessory. They're glamorous and gorgeous, and I think they're awesome. But sometimes I get annoyed, and I feel that that those little things are telling me that I should be ashamed of them when I'm trying to be on stage, being proud of them. And don't ever tell anyone 
that they will book you if you're a little bit thinner or would book you if you were to... I've had stories like that. It's disgusting. So really be careful of your, your, the words you use and kind of, you know, if you don't want someone, just be like, oh, sorry, you're not what we're looking for. You know, you can be quite... Sometimes I like people who are quite blunt. Just be like, okay, cool, that's fine. And other times you can cut it up as much as you want tell me how pretty I am. And that's <laughs> still yours, so... Amazing. <laughs> oh, there, was, there was a little question there, yes. Yeah, sorry, I just... Uh, I want to ask your opinion on it, because I know I've come across it myself. If I tell them that I'm a cabaret singer, I've come from an operatic and classical background, they get... It's a fear of ignorance mm. of what cab, the term cabaret is. They go, oh my God, do you strip? You know, so they, I think the terminologies have got very confused because there's so much under the cabaret umbrella these days that people now see cabaret as burlesque and they see burlesque as strip and they don't even know what, you know, strip has terminology. It's become a domino effect and everything's kind of been confused. Um, and it's meant that you have to educate them about specifics and what things are and just going, well, so what if I did? You know, what, what if I did sing opera with, with my breasts out? I mean, I, I do, not fully, but... <laughs> <laughs> that, it's not a party. I think a lot of producers don't realise that when you say you're a singer, they're like, okay. Yeah. And it's like, well, here's my credentials. And a lot of them aren't um, producers who have been on, say, the musical theatre or the operatic scene, so they don't actually understand those credentials. Yeah. Whereas, you know, there can't be other performers that send their CV with a load of bullshit on it. So there's that kind of like, that, where is that regulation? That comes back to producers researching. I think it's yeah. about educating yourself about respect, which basically seems to be the two main things we've, we've come through today. Unfortunately, I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap this up, even though it's been fascinating. We can talk about this for hours. So, panel, uh, where can people find you out in the world? Uh, give me some links to websites, Facebook, Twitter. All of my handles are Pretty Miss Cairo. I have a page on Facebook, which is The Pretty Miss Cairo. Um, and I will have a website soon, because I'm now super, super professional after years. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my Twitter handle is at the dot cotton. Uh, it's dot with a double T, so that I don't get done for copyright. Um, <laughs> and, and my website is actually my partnership, which is www.dotandslim.com, um, which sort of links you to a variety of different things that I do, not just necessarily related to camera. Um, uh, I would say go to my website, but I haven't updated it. But maybe if you'll go, I'll make sure I'll update it by tomorrow. Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently, according to the website, I've only got three acts. <laughs> um, and I'm not freaked out before. Um, so um, you can find me um, uh, at low, low brow, like eyebrow. Um, and um, find me on Twitter, I'm on Facebook the same. And my website is www.lowlowbrow.co.uk. Uh, and for me, my Twitter handle is uh, May underscore Denbrage. Uh, Facebook, Lady May Denbrage. Um, or Lady May Boyalesque, if you give the website, and the, the school that I teach at is the Cheek of It Boyalesque School. Well, thank you so much. I think everyone on the stage deserves a massive round of applause. <laughs> 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 Physical bodies on stage. Um, I've been Rosie Cole, and if you want to listen to this podcast.
podcast back, you can go to rkvaudevillebroadcast.blogspot.com or you can subscribe to Rose Falls Vaudeville Broadcast on iTunes and have an amazing time with the rest of the cabaret convention. There's some really exciting stuff lined up, so I hope you'll check it out. Thank you. Thank you for saying it. Thank you very much for this panel.